This episode of Energy Sense is brought to you by IHS Markets Financial and Capital Markets Energy Advisory Group. Our team of experts provides the investment community with actionable insight and integrated thought leadership that identify the trends and trend makers of global energy markets. Solutions cover the full energy and natural resources sector, from traditional fossil fuels to emerging clean tech ideas and supply chains, and are available via recurring reports, webinars, robust data sets, and personal engagements with experts. All right, welcome back to Energy Sense, a S&P Global uh, podcast covering all things on the intersection of energy and finance. This is your host, Hill Vaden, and I am here today with Taylor Kirkendall, who is a senior reporter covering metals and mining for the new S&P Global Commodity Insights business we are all working for now. Taylor, how are you? Doing great. How are you? Thank you very much for having me on. Yeah, I'm glad to do it. And Taylor is also one of the co-hosts of the Energy Evolution podcast, um, which I think more information about that is found uh, is found where, Taylor? Yeah, I would recommend anybody go check us out either on Spotify, um, on Apple, or just about every uh, favorite platform that you might want to find the podcast. But we're uh, mostly covering energy transition issues, whether that's fuel-related or technology. We're uh, kind of trying to cover it all. All right. And I have listened to a couple episodes and uh, you do a very good job. So uh, thank you. You've got the Energy Sense endorsement for whatever that uh, may mean or may not mean. Excellent. We might have to have you come in and record a spot at the end of the podcast. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right. Well, we are here today, uh, for perhaps evidenced by the introduction, metals and mining. We are here today to talk about coal. Um, and I am coming into this largely, could call it uninformed, because I, I do not follow coal closely. But coal has become maybe fashionable is too strong or completely the wrong word to to use. But but coal has it has garnered much more of a spotlight on the back of the commodity pressures we've seen over the past call it six to twelve months. And I've been getting more questions about it. I am more curious about it now than I've been in you know quite some time. And was grateful to meet your introduction and have an opportunity here to talk about it. So maybe just if you could help set us up, what what's going on in, in coal markets right now and how does that compare to you know the prior six, 12 months? Sure. And and just to set some set the scene really quickly, I think it's important to acknowledge two very important things about coal and, and how that kind of plays out and determines its future. One is it's still the largest source of electricity generation. So we're burning a lot of coal around the world. Um, the other very important thing to note is that it's the, the world's largest uh, source of energy-related CO2 emissions. As you know, climate change is not a problem that's going away. Uh, pressure to act on that's not going away. So we've seen coal kind of see its heyday in most developed uh, countries or economies. Um, so whether that's in the U.S. or Europe, coal's been vanishing really quickly. Um, a lot of developing uh, regions such as China are still growing their coal use a good bit. But um, the biggest thing that we saw is that that demand or that that long-term pattern of seeing these things decline kind of took a, a turn um, in recent months. And a big part of that, to back up a little bit, is when we look at the pandemic, electricity demand you know, kind of fell off, right? We're we're building less, we're um, we're, we're doing a lot less moving around. So we had a lot of a uh, demand fall down, and it turns out when that bounced back, um, that caused uh, prices to skyrocket. At the same time, we also saw gas prices were really high. And so, yeah, essentially, we've had these years and years of uh, of, of coal not doing well for, for a long time in, in places like Europe and, and the U.S. But now, all of a sudden, prices are, are skyrocketing. And it's, uh, as you mentioned, uh, fashionable, maybe popular would be a better <laughs> word. It still remains uh, 
quite unfashionable in a lot of circles to be supportive of the coal industry. But yet we've really just seen this huge boom in demand. And while to put that in the context a little bit, we're coming off some some multi-decade lows in places mm-hmm. like the U.S. and Europe, right? Um, so some of that is is just swinging back from where it was at. But there's no denying that we're seeing you know multi-decade highs in prices as well, and that's largely just because of this this kind of spring back, but also another dynamic that's been going on in the sector for a long time, and that's an underinvestment in supply. So like while the demand's increasing. Almost nobody wants to to go out there and build new coal mines, right? They, they even if you're a coal company that's all in on coal, uh, you kind of see the writing on the wall for the long-term trends in this sector. We're going to burn less coal. Whenever you build a mine, it takes sometimes decades to recoup that investment. Mm-hmm. And so while we had this kind of historic underinvestment already going on in the space, and now all of a sudden this demand crump comes in and people want lots of coal and they're willing to pay a high price for it, but the coal miner is not thinking hey, uh, certainly they want to respond to these coal prices, right? They want to sell every time that they have available right now. But they also don't want to put a lot of money into investing in new capacity because who knows if that that demand is going to be there, you know, in five, 10 years, especially, again, as the climate change discussion advances, you know, the coal certainly not on at the top of mind for most people and what's going to be the the major fuel or energy source that plays a role in that. And the multi- decade lows that you mentioned a second ago, that was, at least in the U.S., uh, two issues, at least two issues. One was the reduced demand from the pandemic and from the lockdowns. The other one being that gas has incrementally taken away coal market share uh, within the U.S. power generation. Is that correct? No, that's that's absolutely correct. Um, I mean, there's a lot of talk about how regulations pushed uh, U.S. coal out of the market. That was kind of the narrative that we heard during the Obama mm-hmm. administration, for example. What was kind of missed during that whole period is there was so much of our decline in coal usage. While that might have been the official policy position, it was really the, the low price of natural gas that allowed that to happen. Gas prices were so cheap, it was really easy to make the decision to get rid of of coal-fired generation, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, now prices come back up, and then that's where we're starting to see that um, – it, because like all these companies were saying, okay, we're not going to have coal generation in the future. And then there's always the looming specter of regulation as well. Um, they kind of pulled back and now they just don't have that supply available now that prices are high. There's other things that are that are going into that as well here in the U.S. Um, for example, with, with high grass prices, a lot of coal, um, coal burning power plants would like to be running right now. But right. Um, kind of the thing that also pandemic related that that hit the sector this um, this past couple of months was a, a an issue with railroad cars just being able to deliver the coal. Um, those a company Arch Resources. If you go back mm-hmm. and listen to their first quarter earnings call, uh, I believe they mentioned something around at one point sixty percent of the train cars just weren't showing up to pick up the coal. Um, so that means that like these power companies, if they had coal, they were saving it for stockpiling um, going into the winter and also coming back up into the spring season. They they wanted to keep those stockpiles instead of trying to, you know, continue to bring this stuff in, but they just didn't have the logistics necessary. That not only impacts kind of our local domestic coal burn, but it also limits how much coal we can export from the U.S. as well. Um, I think that a lot of people are talking about that situation is going to sort of resolve itself. Uh, You know, a lot of industries right now are having labor issues as a result of the pandemic. And that was Uh, it. It was the low that there there are enough rail cars to move the coal. They just weren't enough labor to use the rail cars? Uh, my, so the, I'm not following the railroad industry as close mm-hmm. as the coal industry, but my um, my kind of read on the situation, this was more of a labor issue and not necessarily like a, um, say, infrastructure issue. Okay. And how about XUS, that, that gas was coming in at the expense of coal in the U.S.? I know there are, or I think there are some more regulatory pressures perhaps in Western Europe. 
was coal demand on multi-year lows in, say, Asia or Europe um, for things outside of lockdown reasons? Or um, yeah, so so lockdown. in Europe, in, in Europe, a lot of a lot of the countries there were already pulling back on the amount of coal that they were using. And in a large part of that, it was just a lot of different reasons. I mean, gas mm -hmm. prices obviously play a role in this, but also just displacement from renewable energy as well. Um, a lot of, and, and some countries were even specifically setting out, you know, public policy positions that were saying, we're gonna reduce the amount of coal so that we can rein in greenhouse gas emissions. Um, that was certainly playing a factor. Now in Asia, there's a kind of a, a different story to be told. There's, especially in places like China, coal use has been, still growing. I mean, it, it grew through the pandemic, yeah. even when the rest of the world pulled back. I believe, um, I think 2020, we lost somewhere about 4% or so of like global coal consumption. Um, China still burned a little bit more coal in 2020 than the year before. Um, and they they did the same in 2021, and they probably will for at least a few more years. Um, we also see coal demand growing in places like India. So yeah, it's kind of like these we have two different dynamics playing out here. Um, Asia is largely building out their uh, their their coal consumption, and and not just in terms of how much they're using at the plants they have now. They're they're still actively building coal-fired power plants. Um, we haven't built a new coal-fired power plant in the United States in a very long time. I think at least 10 years since we we put in a new power plant. The trends in Europe are kind of similar. We haven't been really building new coal, and so a lot of this is. Um, not necessarily that we were actively doing anything that people were mm -hmm. that people were trying to do anything. It's that these old plants retired because they got old, and in the meantime, nobody was building any new ones for right. a multitude of reasons, regulatory reasons, but also just because, I mean, renewable energies are renewable energy is getting cheaper. Um, you know, natural gas is like popped up in different parts of the world as a substitute for coal, and um, yeah, a whole host of other reasons kind of driving those two dynamics in both regions. So de demand coming out of the pandemic was obviously rising much more aggressively than one would expect in a non-pandemic or, or non-lockdown world. Uh, longer term, we're looking at structural decline within the US, Europe, and perhaps continued you know, rising demand in, in Asia. And things were, I guess, fairly well balanced. And then as things kind of overshot, and then obviously the, the, the war in uh, Ukraine gets us to where we are now, where, where coal prices are at, um, multi-level highs, but you're saying that people are multi-decade highs. There's no investment going in to new supply. Right. Very little investment going in anywhere. And there's a couple different reasons for that. Um, I'll dive into ESG second. Let's start with like just a, a little bit of context in the U.S. Uh, because like okay. there's some of our large producers are there, and I think this is an important story to tell. Back in around 2014, 2015, there was this huge boom in metallurgical coal prices, right? We saw prices skyrocket a lot of, for a lot of different reasons. There was like weather in Australia, limiting supplies, things like that. But um, when this happened, a lot of coal companies, um, particularly here in the United States, they started buying up assets to respond to that demand. They wanted to be, they wanted to be part of that action when the price was hot. At one point, I remember going to a conference. The an executive for a coal company described this period as the whole industry going punch drunk um, because they were just so excited about these high prices, right? Well, if most of the people listening to this, probably if they're familiar with the coal industry, heard a lot about coal industry in terms of bankruptcy. Um, well, mm -hmm. what led to that was this huge buy-in to metallurgical coal or coal assets when the coal price was high. Well, you know, if you, if you, it's, as many people might know, if you go out and get too punch drunk, the next thing that hits the hangover, right? And that's exactly what hit the industry. The price of metallurgical coal dropped down at the same time that we had the structural decline in thermal coal use, which is the, you know, the coal used to, for um, power generation. And um, so we just saw wave after wave of bankruptcies. I mean, dozens. Mm -hmm. I think at one point we had a count of 75 or more uh, coal companies went bankrupt in the space of just a few years. Um, and so basically what this is all kind of getting at is that the industry's faced the commodity price swing before 
before. They've seen what happens when you chase really high prices with really high levels of investment. You end up right. with debt and assets you can't handle. And so I think just part of this is the, the coal industry somewhat self-regulating themselves, right? They might see higher prices in the next couple of months, maybe even the next year or two. Um, but I think they're all very hesitant to go and bet several hundred million or a couple billion in new infrastructure because they've been burned before. Mm -hmm. In fact, one of the things that we're seeing now, it's not the coal companies aren't making money. As you can imagine with like prices, you know, depending on what quality of coal you're talking about, we're, we're looking at quadruple prices, quintuple prices from just a year ago. They have, they're making money. The margins are great. But like what we're seeing instead of them, you know, turning around and buying more and investing in their assets, they're going out there and they're doing they're, they're doing you know, share buybacks or they're they're right. issuing dividends. They're they're giving that money back to investors. Um, so all that's to say is like I think that even if we weren't going to have too many more regulations or too many more like uh, pressure from ESG investors, I'm not so sure the coal industry would be super excited to jump back in on this anyway at this point. But um, as I just hinted at there, there's other factors also compounding this trend. Um, is as more and more companies start thinking about okay, well, how do my investments fit into environmental, social, and governance goals? Right, like they're before I want to, but before we get into that, I want to go, yeah. go go back to the investor pressure. So, so you, so you sure. talk about people buying buying back shares, dividends, whatever else, and we're seeing the same thing in the oil and gas sector right now, right? Where, where there was a concerted campaign from institutional investors investors to say, look, you guys are destroying capital. You've got to be better stewards of our capital and let's start behaving differently. And so even right now with oil at $120 and gas at $7.5 or $8, North American drillers are not putting rigs back to work. Was there the same concerted effort with the, the coal industry from, from institutional investors or, or are these uh, CEOs just looking over and seeing what the oil and gas companies are doing and saying, hey, well, we can do that same thing? Oh, no, certainly. I mean, I think you saw a lot of pressure. Just um, one of, there were several activist campaigns that they okay. started putting the pressure on the institutional investors who then passed that pressure on to the coal companies, right? But we hear from coal companies, we have a hard time uh, finding, doing business with big banks. We have a hard time okay. getting insurance for our operations. And, and for those not familiar with, with these coal operations, if you can't get insurance, you've got a lot of problems. I mean, we're talking about some of these surface operations are the size of small towns and cities, and you're digging up a lot of ground. Um, there's a lot of potential liabilities associated with that. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, the, I, I don't know that it was um, a big coordinated effort in the sense that all these banks got together and said, we're not going to like fund these things or like the institutional investors said, we're not going to, you know, we're, we're going to pressure them to, to take action. But I think that that is increasingly, if you if you want to attract investment from like um, either, whether that's a major bank for a new project or just to bring on new or to bring new shareholders into the fold of your company. Yeah, I think that they, they didn't want to see more spending on assets. In fact, we're seeing a lot of companies in the coal space start to kind of pivot to like, well, we're the more responsible coal company, right? Like they, they want to attract those ESG investors and say, we're providing the, the fuel that's going to generate power for people. And that's a social good, but also we're not going to go out there and invest in new coal mines. We're going to start winding it down. So yeah, I think there has been just like this really big investor side pressure to say like, we don't want you to go out there and lose your money like we saw in 2015 with the bankruptcies. Mm -hmm. um, but we also want you to have something that's more climate compatible. Because um, you know, when you go out and lay out your investments, I think it's really hard to see a world where we're burning coal unabated without carbon capture and say like the next like 15 years. I mean, I think increasingly people are putting pressure on those companies to act in that way. But yes, I so think- how, so, so how are they responding to the ESG investor now? Oh, sorry, the, the coal companies, they're, they're the beginning- yeah, I think that they, um, I think in early days, uh, a lot of coal conferences I went to, there's a lot of frustration, right? Mm -hmm. um, in a lot of ways, these these miners kind of see their 
when they look at ESG, they might kind of look more at say like, oh, the social good, the jobs we're providing and, and things right. like that. When and and hey, the environmental thing is something we're trying to fix or work on. Um, I think they're slowly moving into a place where they're not resisting ESG so much. They're trying to embrace it. But just by nature of their asset, it's a very difficult fit. It's a difficult sell, right? Um, we're even seeing companies, um, for example, metallurgical coal producers. They There's very few alternatives right now, or at least it's kind of difficult or expensive to make steel without metallurgical coal. We have companies that only produce metallurgical coal in the U.S., but they have a hard time with ESG investors too, right? Because you go there and you say, I, I produce metallurgical coal. I think a lot of a lot of them feel like when they get to the, that point in the conversation, Institutional investors, a lot of them, especially if they have a big ESG focus, have already stopped listening. Right? They don't. They don't want to hear about the difference between this coal's for power generation, this coal's for steel making. It's um, kind of just a blanket approach. Um, it's right. the coal industry, while you know important to power generation. I mean, still isn't that big, that large of a sector of the economy, right? So if you want to exclude, um, you know, high carbon emitting assets from your your portfolio. Coal is kind of a low-hanging fruit, and I think that's the way a lot of kind of like larger institutional investors have kind of viewed coal. It's like we're not missing much by like say removing a dozen, um, give or take, public companies from or in the U.S. at least right. public companies. Yeah, it's easy to walk away from small bankrupt sectors. Right. <laughs> it's exactly. harder to walk away from large growing sectors. Yeah, and I would add too. Um, so a bankruptcy plays into this as well. A lot of um, a lot of the big shareholders in the companies now are just a handful of, of funds, and I think that we're probably seeing pressure from them to say, hey, let's get dividends, let's let's make mm -hmm. money from the coal that we already have. But it's probably not necessarily the best bet to to keep on trying to like put new capacity in there. But the, Arch describes the largest, it's the largest coal mine in the country as of the first quarter, Black Thunder, um, used to be the second largest. But that's a thermal coal operation, and they're winding it down. The way they describe it is that they're in cash harvesting mode. So when the price goes up and they can, they have the railroads there to, to pick up the coal and take it places, they'll sell more coal, they'll sell it at a higher price, they'll take advantage of it. But they're not really putting any investment into expanding that mine or, or trying to trying to get more coal out than like the market's asking for. They're just trying to wind that down over the next couple of years. Uh, and, and again, it's kind of like this like harvest cash mode. Now they are pivoting mm -hmm. to metallurgical coal. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, that's been a tough sell for some institutional investors. So it's kind of yet to be seen um, whether these metallurgical coal producers can really kind of distinguish themselves and, and kind of make that push here in the US. And so right now, when you're getting these record cash flows, it sounds like that there's not, with the exception of buybacks and perhaps dividends or special dividends, you're not setting yourself up for growth, I guess, because the industry sees market share moving away from it again once commodity cycles or once things kind of normal out. So what... What are the, each of these companies doing, or not each of them, but but in aggregate? Can you give me some examples on what the what, where the money's going to, and eventually, I mean, you can be self-funding right now, right? So so you can mm -hmm. continue to invest in supply. Is anybody doing that? Are people putting money to work into the the carbon capture, or people putting money into other things within the coal or the adjacent industries for these companies to grow, perhaps in other avenues? Sure. And, and when I mentioned this, I did miss one big area where this money is going to, and that's debt repayment. Okay. Um, they're all trying to be as debt free as possible right now. And and some companies have done a better job of others. And so some are having to dedicate more of that money now to that than they, they would have if they would have taken these steps a couple couple years ago. Um, but granted, 
debt's already pretty low because there was a wave of <laughs> bankruptcies that wiped most of it out. Yeah, yeah. Like it's yeah, that's the kind of the, the blessing of being a bank, <laughs> coming out of bankruptcy is you are now debt free. Um, but we have seen some some recent diversification efforts, and they're they're kind of varied. Now my focus is primarily on the United States, so that's where a lot of my examples have come from. But uh, Peabody Energy, uh, for example, earlier this year we we heard a, a huge announcement that they were I believe it was in Illinois and Indiana, uh, if, I'm, if I'm remembering correctly. Uh, they're investing in solar. They're going to try to do like get into renewable energy projects. Now they're not managing those projects, um, and it's not exactly clear how those partnerships work. But they they've partnered up with some other companies to try to develop solar. Uh, Alliance Resource Partners is one that's been talking a long time about. They're, they're, they've already gone into oil and gas, and they've started like getting uh, properties that they can lease in the oil and gas space. Um, Natural Resource Partners, um, they're a leasing company. They they generally they lease their property to coal companies, and and so while not technically mining themselves in a lot of the operations they're a lot they are thought of as a coal company but they're they're starting to talk about what can they do with their property and, and we've been hearing that for months um some of the solutions i've heard them talk about doing is you know they're going to lease the land for carbon storage um from ccus okay. facilities um they've also looked at um trying to get carbon credits by planting trees on those properties things like that they're basically trying to figure out what can we do with this exact same asset that's not necessarily um, in coal and try to diversify we've seen two interesting developments in terms of getting into the power game we heard a couple months ago halidor energy um, they're based in indiana they were going to uh, buy a coal, they well, they were they were planning to help replace the coal plant with i believe a solar energy facility um, later on that kind of got walked back and instead they're going to buy that coal plant and they're going to operate the plant until it no longer runs anymore, and then they're going to put in the renewable energy instead. Um, we also hear Consol Energy is trying to work on a um, this, through the uh, partnership with the Department of Energy. They're trying to help build um, these kind of so-called uh, coal plants of the future. The yeah. idea of the coal plant of the future is that it, it either emits very little carbon dioxide or it's all captured. Um, they also tend to be smaller. A lot of times we think of coal; they're these big big, huge baseload plants. Um, they're starting to think about them in smaller terms, I believe. But they're trying to work on that development. But that's kind of risky because it's several years out, even before that design uh, part of that project is done. But then nobody knows exactly how it's going to turn out, right? So um, yeah, there's definitely a number of diversification efforts. I think this is a question I remember people asking a lot about, I mean, even five, 10 years ago. I mean, because this is the decline of coal wasn't a surprise, right? It's a long-term circular right. decline. And for the longest time, there weren't very many answers. <laughs> it's like, I don't know if they're doing anything. Like, it's like, I I've, I, I know Alliance has been in oil and gas yeah. for a while. But for the large, largest part, like other than the occasional hint at funding a carbon capture project or some things like that, we didn't hear a lot about diversification coming from these coal companies. And um, so all those, most of those examples I just named were in the last couple months. I think that they're really starting to think about, okay, well, we've got this cash coming in. Can we do something with it that maybe moves us out of that space? Or as, as alluded to earlier, some companies are starting to just purely focus on metallurgical coal, which again is, is definitely a messaging campaign in progress. Um, right. There's a clear difference between metallurgical coal and thermal coal. Getting all the players in the market to understand that I think has been a bit of a lift, but um, it does seem like that's a, uh, starting to be accomplished at least in some like some small way over the past couple months. And so it sounds like each of the, I mean, you mentioned five or six different ideas uh, for, from the handful of companies that you named, that there is no kind of central movement, that that each each is trying a couple different ways to, I suppose, maintain uh, some level of relevance it, it, throughout this more climate-concerned operating environment that is coming in spite of everything else. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's certainly true. And it, it kind of makes sense, really, if you think about it, right, because there's no 
there's no roadmap to surviving this thing, right? I mean, I, I can't, I have a hard time. Um, we've, we've been writing about the kind of slow decline of the coal industry in the United States for a long time. It's hard to think of many other industries that have gone through this that weren't more, either more gradual or complete technological shift. But yeah, it sounds like that they are kind of taking a shotgun approach to this problem, right? Like, and, and hoping that they hit something. Um, I, and, and I think it's, um, What's interesting is that we're not seeing them all shift into the energy space, which is maybe something I would have expected to have seen, you know, mm -hmm. that you're at least familiar with that. Um, a lot of your customers are going to be very similar. Um, for example, if you're selling coal to, um, you know, Duke Energy, um, maybe if you go put a solar array, it's going to be the same customer. The relationships are there. Right. But, um, yeah, it's been very interesting to kind of see what everybody's different way to tackle this problem has been so far. And so what are we thinking if we're looking ahead, it's it's June 14th, if we're looking ahead through the remainder of the year, prices continue to be very high. Uh, you're, you're, I guess that, that gas coal dynamic continues to just seemingly kind of chase itself up. Um, from a consumer perspective, without investment, if there's no investment going into new supply, are we expecting near-term relief or will things keep going up until demand falls over due to a recession? Or demand yeah, so, falls over for other reasons. Yeah, I think recession and, and other kind of macroeconomic concerns, that those are the big things to watch. Another thing to watch in, in, in terms of what might kind of cause a, a big shift in, in what happens here is there's been a lot of concern about energy security, um, mm -hmm. whether we're talking about you know not being able to get enough coal for the plants in Europe since Russia invaded Ukraine, or we're talking about power just last year in Texas. People are thinking about the security of energy supply a lot more. And so that just kind of makes an environment where regulators might want to try to step in and, and alter something, right? And it's, it's so difficult to predict what might happen in that uh, for that reason. Now, I think when we kind of look at just like short term, we're probably going to be seeing like higher prices for quite a while. I and mean, I think when, we, when you hear these producers talk, they're all banking on the the kind of the, the market being supportive of, of higher prices for at least the next couple months um, into like the next year. What some of the companies that we were seeing doing is, is using this as an opportunity to combat a longer term problem they've had. That's mm -hmm. that they can't if you go in back far enough, you would see that U.S. coal companies used to just lock in these longer-term contracts with with utilities and enjoy that, right? Because like they could be like, we 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 know what we're doing, um, we know what they what the the customers expecting. We can we can bank on that. Um, because the coal sector or coal consumption declined faster than coal production initially, um, the industry's kind of been chasing that supply demand balance for right. a long time, right? And that means utilities were able to just basically buy wanted to and essentially what price they wanted to because like the coal was just available before we saw that kind of shift a little bit coal companies are trying to lock in those longer term contracts now um, i don't have any visibility into that price but i imagine they're locking it well below spot especially the high spot prices that we've been seeing um so i think they that, they're, in, that, that we are seeing evidence of people actually locking in contracts even if we're not seeing the price we are you know we are, yeah, and I don't think that they're. I don't think we're hearing about. I don't think we're going to see 10, 15 year contracts, right? I think we're talking about. Um, whereas, like contracts had floated back to, I think most fell in somewhere probably in the range of two to four years. I think. I think you might be seeing that shift a little bit towards that three to five. It's not going to be dramatically longer, but okay. um, fewer spot purchases and fewer very short term purchases. I think. Um, but that's all to say that I, I do think that eventually prices will settle back down as we see like um, coal demand start to normalize. But right now, everybody's just really panicking about where they're going to get their coal. Um, although I would say that future prices aren't nearly as high as what we're seeing spot prices, right? So that is kind of indicative that like not only are people not probably going to invest in that supply in the near term, um, I do think that um, there is some thought that the in the market that the, the prices are going to eventually start to drift back down but most of the people i'm talking to I'm, I'm hearing that 
months down the road. We're not going to come back here in two weeks and be talking about how coal prices are back to where they're at, right? Um, yeah. I think we're we're still a couple months out from that, and probably at least through 2022, if not into 2023, for some time. Okay, this uh, famous West Texas bumper sticker in the oil patch that says something effective. God grant me one more boom, and I promise not to mess this one up. <laughs> and it sounds like the, uh, the the coal executives are trying not to mess this one up. Uh, yeah. So we will see how it plays out. Well, Taylor, this has been a, a fun conversation, and I thank you for joining me. And I hope that we can pick it up again uh, sometime. And, and I hope that everyone listening now bounces over to Energy Evolution and listens to your most recent episode of that as well. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate you having me on here. Um, I agree. It's been a great conversation. Always happy to come on and talk about coal. All right. Thank you. Thank you. To read additional insights from our team of experts, visit our blog at www.ihsmarket.com slash energy blog. You can also find our experts on social media by searching for IHS Market Energy on either Twitter or LinkedIn. Have a topic idea or want to send us feedback? Email our podcast team at energysense at ihsmarket.com. This podcast contains information and insights copyrighted by IHS Market. To learn more about IHS Market Energy solutions, visit ihsmarket.com energy. That's ihsmarkit.com forward slash energy.